One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sometimes in the swirl of breaking news, something just sticks out. A quote, a line in a news piece, an image, a single strand in a story that's rushing across social media, across 24-hour news broadcasts and the front pages of newspapers around the world. It's a moment that you want to pause on because something tells you that there's something there, a clue. Last night in Kabul, the United States ended 20 years of war in Afghanistan, the longest war in American history. And so it was when U.S. President Joe Biden gave his defiant speech on August 31st, marking the end of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. More than double what most experts thought were possible. No nation, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. The only the United States had the capacity and the will and ability to do it, and we did it today. The extraordinary success of this... After 20 years, more than 2,400 American deaths and a trillion dollars spent, Biden ended the never-ending war. And as he did, he said something small but significant. Maybe it's because my deceased son, Beau, served in Iraq for a full year. Before that, well, maybe it's because of what I've seen over the years as senator, vice president, and president traveling these countries. A lot of our veterans and their families have gone through hell. Clutching the lectern and chewing his lip, stumbling a bit in his address, he mentioned his son, Bo, who in 2015, aged 46, died of glioblastoma, a ferocious brain cancer that took his life within 18 months of diagnosis. Later, when he was greeting the parents of Marines killed in the Kabul bombing, an attack which killed 12 Americans in the final days of the evacuation, he mentioned his son again, sharing in their moment of grief. But why? Bo Biden didn't die in conflict. Yes, he served in Iraq, but he wasn't harmed there. And yet, Joe Biden has a belief that his son's disease was connected to toxic smoke that he inhaled from the burn pits in Iraq. Giant fires on army bases in which toxic chemicals, human waste, munitions, fuel, anything and everything was burned up into the air using jet fuel as the accelerant. And In unravelling that belief, you learn a great deal about a president whose political career has been bookended by tragedy. Before Christmas 1972, the wife of newly elected Senator Joe Biden and their baby daughter were killed. About how he channels that grief, how it shapes his politics. 
I'm Basha Cummings and you're listening to The Slow Newscast with my colleague Dave Taylor and the Washington reporter Lucia Graves. This is the story of Joe Biden's constant companion. My colleague, Dave Taylor, worked in America for years, first for the Times newspaper and then for The Guardian. He's the only English person I've met who stays awake until 5am watching baseball. Hello, Dave. Hey, Basha. Good to see you. (laughs) And with Dave, I wanted to stay on that line from Biden's speech. And so, of course, as we often do in this podcast, we have to rewind a bit. Back to 1972 and to rural Delaware. So, Dave... Tell me where this story starts for us. So Joe Biden, newly elected to the Senate to represent Delaware, which is the state just outside of Washington, D.C., blue-collar Irish Catholic from Pennsylvania. He's a lawyer. He's only 29, and he's about to take his seat in a few weeks' time on Capitol Hill. And he's married with three children. His wife, Nelia, was a teacher, and Joe was on Capitol Hill in Washington visiting his new office. Well, they were Christmas shopping, um, heading back toward my home uh, in a station wagon. It was just before Christmas, Nelia was driving, and the family was in a crash with a truck, and it was this unimaginable tragedy. Uh, no one knows for certain what happened, but pulled out of a, an intersection in a semi-rural part of our state, a place called Hokess in Delaware, tractor-trailer coming down a hill, broadside of them. Uh, I never, quite frankly, wanted to know I didn't want to pursue if anybody made a mistake or whatever. Uh, She was just 30. Their baby daughter, Naomi, who they called Amy, was 13 months old. They were killed. Bo, who was then only four, and his brother Hunter were critically injured but survived. They were broadsided. My wife and uh, daughter were on one side of the car, and they were were, uh, killed immediately. My two boys were on the other side of the car, and... uh, Thank God for my volunteer firemen. They used the jaws of life to get my sons out, save their lives. And, and that happened December 18th, and my sons were very badly injured. My, uh, my son, Bo, uh, was in a body cast, uh, ankles to neck, both arms, both legs, for a long time. Fully recovered, thank God. And my other son, Hunter, uh, had a fractured skull, um, was uh, banged up as well, but he recovered. And Joe Biden on the cusp of public life, had to make this decision about whether to continue with his political career. I mean, imagine going through what I went through without the kind of family I had helping me. My, I got the accident occurred. I went stayed at the hospital. Um, I came home. My brother-in-law is a very successful lawyer, and my sister is my best friend. They'd given up their home and moved into my house. And Joe only developed his political career because his sister Valerie gave up her job and moved in looked after the boys. He got the train home every night, 100 miles from Washington to Wilmington, so he could be with the boys. And in 1977, a few years later, as a family, they married Jill. This famous line that is in the folklore of the Biden clan, we married her. And then Bo, as he grew, began to develop his own career as a public servant. He followed his father first into law and then into politics. In 2006, he became Delaware's Attorney General. It's like the top legal official Mm -hmm. in the state. Um, And once Senator Joe Biden became Vice President Biden with Barack Obama, 
Bo was pretty widely expected to follow in his dad's footsteps and run for the Senate seat. There was this bond between them that was so obvious. Mm. Beloved eldest son. Biden talks about him as me, but without the downsides. And it's something that the reporter that we've been working with, Lucia Graves, based in Washington, talks about. I think that, you know, he was the eldest son and and very much thought to be uh, the son who inherited all of Joe Biden's good parts and Biden jokes, none of his bad parts. And I'm sure that he was sort of the hope for the Biden legacy. And so when he lost Bo. He, I think he felt like he'd on some level lost the ability to to pass the torch. So Dave, who was Bo really, this beloved elder son? Well, so he goes into law. He's with the U.S. Justice Department. After, you know, the, the Balkans conflict, he worked to train judges and lawyers in Kosovo. And then, like a lot of Americans, he had a pivotal moment after 9-11 and he felt moved to join the National Guard um, and that was 2003. In 2008, Major Bo Biden served in Iraq. And it's a theme that seems to run through Bo and Joe Biden's lives. Public servants, a powerful sense of duty there working for the common good. As we said, this was a family of faith informed by, you know, the social teaching of the Catholic Church with its cornerstones of mercy and compassion. And when he returns from Iraq after a year, Bo goes back to his new job. He'd only been Attorney General for a short time in Delaware. So he goes back, top legal officer in the state, and he becomes quite famous for pursuing child predators. And there was this particular prosecution of a serial predator called Earl Bradley that he said was the most significant case that he'd ever dealt with. I've not been involved in anything in my professional life, in my public life, and quite frankly, my personal life that's had more of an impact. And seeing it through actually stopped him running for higher office, following his dad to the Senate. And, and, you know, you have literally hundreds of survivors of this awful, awful episode and case. And I'm, I'm not at liberty to talk in detail about it. But what I can say is that it's something that I've been dealing with uh, from the moment I, I, I learned of this. And then comes 2008. Barack Obama, the senator from Illinois who becomes the Democratic nominee for president, chooses Joe Biden as his running mate. And that man is Joe Biden. The New York Times described Obama as turning to a leading authority on foreign policy and a longtime Washington hand to fill out the Democratic ticket. So by this point, Dave, politically, publicly, what was the Joe-Bo relationship like? Yeah, Joe Biden talked even then about Bo as his constant companion, his moral compass, pseudo-political advisor. They'd speak apparently four times a day and talk strategy and politics. And one of their most famous public events was at the Democratic Convention in 2008 when Biden was about to be confirmed as Obama's running mate. And Bo introduced his dad on stage and he said, my friend, my friend, my father, my father, my hero, my hero. And sort of builds the legend of this connection between them. And when Joe Biden came on stage, he just did this slightly folksy thing where he says, 
My dad used to have this saying, a father knows he's a success when he turns and looks at his son or daughter and knows that they turned out to be better than he did. And he did this really cheesy line where he says, I'm a hell of a success. (laughs) I love you, Bowie. He shouts to the wings. I'm a hell of a success. Bowie, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the son you've become. I'm so proud of the father you are. I know my father will be a great vice president. As I mentioned, my dad has always been there for me, my brother, my sister, every day. But because of other duties, it won't be possible for me to be here this fall, to stand by him the way he stood by me. So I have something to ask of you. Be there for my dad, like he was for me. Joe Biden was then a Washington fixture. His legend as a man shaped by duty and loss was well known. His son, Beau, primed to launch his own political career. The beginnings, maybe, of a dynasty touched by suffering in the style of the Kennedys. But then, in 2013, Beau was admitted to hospital. Right to those breaking details on a serious medical scale scare for the family of Vice President Joe Biden. His son Beau in a Texas hospital right now for testing. This morning, the Vice President's office says the younger Biden is undergoing tests at an undisclosed hospital. In- he was soon diagnosed with brain cancer, glioblastoma, which is one of the most aggressive cancers we know. Senator John McCain in recent years was one of the people who was taken down by it. Few people survived more than two years. And as Bo said in an interview himself, life's what happens when you're busy making plans. A long time ago, in my 41 years, anytime you have plans, life intervenes. So my plan In 2015, to- the year before he was meant to win the Delaware governorship, Bo died. And at his funeral, President Obama described him as the consummate public servant, that he didn't have, he said, a mean bone in his body. General Ray Odierno, the former top U.S. commander in Iraq, said that Bo had cared deeply for his fellow human beings and always treated everyone with respect. Odierno said that Bo Biden would tell him over and over, I'm just another soldier. But the general said that he thought that this brave soldier might one day lead his country. And if you look at images from the service, you see Joe Biden with his head in his hands, grimacing as his son's casket is carried into the church in Wilmington in Delaware. Chris Martin from Coldplay performs every seat, space for a thousand people is taken up with mourners. And it's a death that affects President Joe Biden profoundly, a death that he's since tried to make sense of, which brings us back to that line in August 2021, in Biden's withdrawal announcement. Well, October 2008, when Bo, as part of the National Guard, he joined in 03, was deployed to Iraq. His unit actually maintained the military signals and comms network in Iraq, and he was a military lawyer in the unit. And the timing, the election was going on back in the US. The day after he deployed to Iraq, his dad was in the vice presidential debate. And there was this really significant line. He said, I don't want him going, but I tell you what, I don't want my grandson or my granddaughters going back in 15 years. And so how we leave makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. He saw his son doing work to admire, but mm-hmm. also something which made the family anxious. Mm-hmm. Biden 
actually went to Iraq as vice president a few months later. And there's this amazing picture from Camp Victory of father and son reunited. Bo's there in his camo uniform and his dad's holding him with his hand on his neck and they're staring into each other's eyes. It's a moment that Joe Biden's confessed caused him both enormous pride and terrible anxiety. But, you know, unlike thousands of other families, his son returned. Bo came home. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In 2006, concerns first began to grow about what are called burn pits in relation to U.S. troops deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan. When soldiers go into war zones, they expect certain hazards on the battlefield, not necessarily on base. But that's where hundreds of soldiers say they were exposed to toxic fumes. There's a memo from December 2006, three years after the invasion, in which a bioenvironmental flight commander for the Department for the Air Force writes about a burn pit at Ballard Air Base in Iraq. He writes that it was amazing that the pit, which had been burning plastics and medical waste and fuels and other toxic substances, had been able to operate without restrictions for the last few years. Contaminants there were identified as arsenic, benzene, carbon monoxide, sulfuric acid, sulfur dioxide, phosgene, and many others. The memo said that the burn pit at Ballard was an acute health hazard for individuals. And in 2012, another leaked memo surfaced on burn pits in Afghanistan, which claimed that at Bagram, one of the US military's largest bases there, the pit posed long-term adverse health conditions to troops breathing the air there. And then, in 2016, a year after Bo's death, a book came out called The Burn Pits, The Poisoning of America's Soldiers, written by a former Marine called Joseph Hickman, which had a specific chapter on Bo. And his dad, Joe, read it. There's a book written called Burn Pits, and I was stunned when I read it. It was a lot of hype, and it was advertised, and it was selling. And there's a whole chapter on my son Bo in there. It stunned me. I didn't know that. And Biden doesn't just mention it once in public. Repeatedly over the next few years, he returned to the burn pits and bow, as Lucia explained when we talked. I do think it's telling that Biden invokes bow 
in these circumstances. And he's, Biden has said before that he feels like Bo was, Bo's cancer stemmed from the burn pits. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, to prove after the fact. And there's debate about whether that's the case. But I think what we can say with certainty is that Biden feels that that's why his son died of brain cancer in his 40s, which is, you know, very unusual. And, and the fact that it's true to Biden says, says everything. In 2019, again, Biden publicly links his son's death to his exposure to the toxic smoke. And because of his exposure to burn pits, in my view, I can't prove it yet, he came back with stage four glioblastoma. Eighteen months he lived, knowing that he was going to die. So, Dave, what do we know of the science behind this link? Well, I mean, all we can say is the evidence is inconclusive. But there's such as the pressure across the country that a, a bill was introduced this year that gives benefits to the victims of these burn pits. And for Biden, the conflation of rumour and his son's time in Iraq is just unequivocal. He now links the two inextricably. The father of, of one of the service members said that he felt that Biden was sort of narcissistically talking too much about his own son and he uh, he wanted his son's story to be central. He wanted him to be remembered as a hero. You know, he said, you know, Bo didn't even die uh, overseas. His son's experience serving in Iraq unquestionably deeply informs his feeling about these, you know, 20-year-long wars that America has engaged in questionably for, for years. Then, you know, after Osama bin Laden was killed, there was this moment when there was a question of, okay, so why are we here? Is it time to step back? And one of the sort of most important decisions that Obama made was whether that was the moment to withdraw or surge. And all of the smartest people in Washington sort of agreed that the answer was surge. Biden was vice president at the time, and he can't contradict his the president. But he did sort of develop a reputation in the White House for being the person that was constantly asking, wait, why are we here? Why are we still here? Why are you doing the surge? There's a cost to this. There's a great cost. And one that I think that for Biden was personal in a way that's a little bit rare for Washington elites. So it's clear that Bo's time in Iraq affected President Biden enormously. But it would be naive, I think, to say that the president's belief of the link between the burn pits and his son's cancer is what's behind his withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. It's just not that simple. And we know that in the Obama administration, Biden had long been a sceptic of the intervention in Afghanistan. But it does help understand the decision and it taps into something perhaps more philosophical about the faith and the narrative of duty that drives him. Yeah, in, in fact, as uh, Lucia put it when we were talking, every politician needs a narrative and there are three main parts to Biden's and Bo is threaded through all of them. In his memoir, he talks about sort of concentric circles of responsibility, family being the center, and then sort of politics and the church. But family is the center, and I do think that there was nothing more important to him than raising his boys. I spoke to Massimo Fagioli, a professor of theology, to try and understand this faith of Biden's. Massimo's written this book, 
which is called Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States. And, you know, Biden wears Bose rosary beads still, an aspect that Professor Fajoli says is quite traditionally Catholic, which as a Democrat is quite the contradiction. He was born in a blue-collared uh, small town in Pennsylvania. He was born in the 1940s and he, he grew up in a Catholic church that was coming of age. And so exiting the cultural ghetto in which Catholics had been for almost one century between the mid-19th century until World War II, he becomes a Catholic in public life as a senator and then as vice president and so on when Catholicism becomes part of the American mainstream, uh, culturally, socially, uh, in education, in the media, and so on. So that is how I, I would describe him. He's white, and he bears that burden of a Catholic church that until recently has been basically blind to racial issues, racial justice mm. in the United States, um, and is recovering from that. He's catching up. In Biden's face, he sees something that makes him distinct from his predecessors in the Oval Office, makes him, in his view, perfect for the troubled times we find ourselves in. It's something Irish that I think is older than Catholicism. It has to do with a presence of death, which is religious and cultural. And this is important because I believe Joe Biden, as a president, brings a certain awareness of, of the ever-presence of death in a culture that in the Western world has become totally unprepared for that. So if one compares the language uh, about death or tragedy in George W. Bush or Barack Obama or Donald Trump or Ronald Reagan, it's much more American in the sense of a certain denial of death, of something that should not have happened, that was not supposed to happen. That's not Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden, as a Catholic, as an Irish Catholic, and as a human being that has gone through many tragedies, he brings a somber face to this problem, which I believe is one of the signs of our times because of the pandemic and because of a certain end of a liberal optimism that we can solve every, pro every problem with a technological fix or with goodwill or with alliances, I believe he's a man for our times. And I'm not saying that he can fix problems, but he, he can provide a face to what we are now dealing with that is less naively optimistic. And that spiritual thread is underpinned by a stronger moral duty that President Biden says he always saw in his son the 2.0 version of himself. It wasn't the faith that drove Bo, but the duty that marked him out. And we talked about this when uh, I was chatting with Lucia in DC. I think Biden felt like Bo had it, that he was blessed and maybe cursed in some ways with what 
you know, the high offices require in terms of, I think, chiefly moral integrity. That's what you hear everyone speak about. When he talks about Bo, he doesn't say, oh, he was the smartest guy in every room he stepped into. No, he says he was a better person than me. And, you know, if we return to that long speech on Afghanistan, you see those shades of that moral belief, that absolute justification in his actions. But you also see in those words specifically about Bo, that one-liner, that driving force behind Biden's presidency, the narrative that's taken him here, it's easy to regard it with some cynicism. But I think it's sort of a fundamental truth of who he is as a person and a politician. Sort of every political leader who gets elected needs a narrative that explains who they are and why Bill Clinton and Barack Obama sort of had the narrative of rising from broken homes and and striving towards something greater. And for for Biden, I do think it's it's this narrative around grief uh, and family and the importance of family and family love. And that that's very authentic. And it, it resonates with uh, everyone who has a family, which is to say, you know, on some level, everyone, you know, you have to be able to tell your story. And there's no way to tell Biden's story in anything approaching with anything approaching authenticity that does not center on on family and loss and most of all Bo. And ultimately you can't help but feel that in some ways it's all driven by that sense, that feeling gnawing at him that it never should have been him in the White House in the first place. Joe, Bo should be the one running for president, not me. Um, every morning I get up, Joe, not a joke, I think to myself, is he proud of me? Um, because he's the one who wanted me to stay engaged, made me promise, promise me, Dad, promise me, Dad, you'll stay engaged. Didn't mean I had to run for president, but I would not walk. He was worried I'd walk away from what I've worked on my whole life since I've been 24 years old. I, he, he, he walks with me. I know that sounds to some people kind of silly, but he really, honest to God, does. I know he's in me. I know he's part of me. And the way you make it is you find purpose and you bring that you realize they're inside you. They're part of you. It's impossible to separate it. And that's the really good thing. So we've been thinking about Bo as the constant companion for his father. And in the Oval Office today, there's a picture of Bo as a boy displayed directly behind President Biden's seat at the Resolute Desk. And we talked about those rosary beads that he still wears. It's easy to imagine that the act of contact with them is a direct line to his son, who he was in the habit of calling four times a day. And it's also worth noting Kamala Harris, the vice president, who was a very close ally of Bo. She was attorney general in California while he was on the other coast in Delaware. And there were times when they, again, talked every single day. So we called this podcast The Constant Companion, thinking that that was a reference to Bo Biden, forever at the president's side, never more than a touch of those rosary beads away. But in the end, it seems like it's actually more than that. Perhaps the constant companions for Joe Biden are grief and loss. What do you do and how do you find purpose after the sort of unfathomable loss he endured in 1972 when his wife and his daughter died? His public life has been, as we said, bookended by tragedy. He thought about giving up in 1972 and in 2015 when Bo was dying, 
Promise me, Dad, was the line that pushed him on again. The Afghanistan withdrawal is catastrophic in many ways, but Biden's line was clear. Veterans and their families have already given too much. And he chose that view in part because he conjoins his family's own sacrifices with theirs. So Joe Biden seems to have molded for himself a character shaped by tragedy, an intense family bond, faith and duty. He practices almost an extreme form of empathy with people. Sometimes it can be very hands-on and that can go either way, bringing tremendous comfort or great discomfort to people who come into his orbit. He's a sense of himself as a healer, a unifier, a consoler-in-chief. So you can't understand President Biden without knowing that faith suffering and family have become his career-long drivers towards performing public duty. And it gets you to a more universal question, I think, which is, how do you go on? And it's something that Dave and I talked about. So after Bo died, Biden got a letter from Ted Kennedy's widow, Vicky, quoting Ted's father, Joe Senior, who'd written a letter to a friend who'd lost a child. It said... When one of your loved ones goes out of your life, you think what he might have done with a few more years, and you wonder what you're going to do with the rest of yours. Then, one day, because there's a world to be lived in, you find yourself to be part of it, trying to accomplish something, something that he did not have enough time to do. And perhaps that's the reason for it. Thanks for listening. This episode was reported by Dave Taylor and Lucia Graves and produced by Matt Russell. Sound design was by Tim Clay. And if you'd like to listen to the Slow Newscast without ads, or you'd like to talk to me or my colleagues about ideas and stories and reporting and what kind of journalism you think that we should be doing, you can become a member of our newsroom. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use my code BASHA50, that's B A S. IA50. Thanks and see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure? Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones. And me, Nikki McCann Ramirez. Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.